Hi, I'm Kevin DeCristofano. I'm Sean Flanagan. And we are the Ninja Turtle Nerds, your weekly podcast covering the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics, one new volume at a time. How you been, Sean? I'm good. I, uh, I've beaten two Metroids now. Nice. Get through Metroid Dread. one more than me. It was, uh... I've only beaten the first NES Metroid. Oh, wow. No, I don't think I could play the first one all the way through. Kudos. I'm, I mean, I used a guide. I'm not going to pretend I I put that much time into it. <laughs> no, but even gameplay-wise, like, I... So you know li- how I am. Like, I always I go know. through, like... I, I never jump into the middle of a franchise. So the only reason I beat that one is at one point I was like, oh, I'm going to beat all the Metroids. And then I did the first NES one, and I never did any others. Well, if you ever get around to Dread, perfect place if you've never played them. I did it in like 16 hours, which is not as quick as most people, but I definitely want to replay it. I really liked it. I don't understand this $60 debate thing that happened when it came out, but you've seen when people post old ads, right, from like Toys R Us and stuff. Yeah. That's what games cost. Like. They always have. It's funny. They've always remained at a constant price. I mean, but I mean, there's $40 games today, too. Like, you, they've always been between $40 and $60. Right. The 70... I think indie games are, are making people, you know, change their thinking on that. Because you can buy, like, an indie game for, like, two bucks. Or some of them are even free. Yeah, but <laughs> so, th- th- this is like, a Nintendo... People are expecting that from everything. Nintendo flagship franchise like yeah you you know you've got a team behind it it's got probably my favorite criticism I've ever seen is the guy who did the original God of War I think stopped playing it because he said it was too hard and I just thought that was (laughs) funny because way back when I stopped playing God of War when I got into the sewer part because I thought it was too hard I'm up speaking of franchises that I started from the beginning. I finished Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior, depending on your region. Um, one and two. I've got to start three at some point soon. I haven't started it yet, but that's my next. And then four, as you and I have talked about, when I finish three, I'm going to have yeah. to figure out how to play four because you can't buy the actual game. It costs, you know, roughly a billion dollars. I think I'm going to have to get it on my mobile phone. Unfortunately, that's the only like manageable way to play Dragon Quest 4. Isn't that funny? Like, that's for that's a problem for future Kevin. Can, can you ever imagine going back to yourself as a kid and going, "Hey, that game you're playing right now, you're going to be able to play that on a phone." <laughs> Your mind yeah. would explode. But that's that's video games. The Ninja Turtles had some video games. Segwayed that perfectly. We'll talk about Ninja Turtles Volume 2, Issue 2. It's Winds of Change. The cover artist is Peter Laird. The story is by Jim Lawson. The pencils are by Jim Lawson. The inks, Jason Temujin Minor. Lettering, Mary Kelleher. Always on those letters. And colors, Eric Vivant. On the original, and Digicore Design Limited on the reprint. Again, the colors kind of look the same to me, but what do I know? Came out in January of 1994. So let's go take a look back at what was going on in January of 1994. 
This month in entertainment. They even release movies in January 94. I didn't find a whole lot I recognized. I only wrote down the three that I was like, I know what that movie is. There was Cabin Boy. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) What do you like most about Cabin Boy, Sean? Oh, you know, I, I think it's truly an underrated cinematic gem and shows Chris Elliott should never be the lead in a movie. We've got House Party 3. That's what it was competing against. Uh, okay. I've never seen any of the House Party I've movies. I've never seen this any of them either. always just dev- ends up delving into what we haven't seen. I stopped listening. They hadn't seen all the House Parties. And then Car 54, Where Are You? was also released in January of 94. I never saw that movie. I know it was based on a show I'd never seen. The poster looks like it's way, way too late for this movie. Like it looks like, the poster looks like the type of poster you'd see for like an early 80s comedy. Like this looks like it should have come out in like 84, not 94. It looks like like early Police Academy, those type of posters. Tweet at us if you've actually seen Car 54, Where Are You? The music at the time. Mariah Carey was dominating those charts. January 1st, January 8th, January 15th. All three weeks, the number one song was Hero by Mariah Carey. Then January 22nd, All for Love by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. There's a trio. January 29th. What's that? That's a trio. January 29th was also All for Love by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. Gotta split that paycheck, guys. See, this is the second episode in a row where you say Mariah Carey's hero, and all I can hit picture in my head is Gundam. Hero! <laughs> I'm right here, so come and kill me! <laughs> I loved Gundam Wing. I remember when that DVD box set was like 200 bucks yep. for the the 10 the 10 discs and now it's all on Hulu for $10 a month. <laughs> yep. Anyway, same thing with Smallville. That had a super expensive box set and now Smallville it's all on Hulu. <laughs> Doesn't cost much to get into that weird cult either that the, the actress had. So video games. <laughs> oh, Nintendo Power's cover was Mega Man X Fast Action Super Blast is the caption. The soup and then it says Super NES TMNT Tournament Fighter. Which is a game I'm sure some of our listeners have played. Still shocked they've never remade it or done a sequel. They did nine pages on Tournament Fighter in this issue of Nintendo Power. And then it also had six pages on the Game Boy game Ninja Turtles 3 Radical Rescue. You ever played that one? I did. I we'll talk about it. I have the emulation. I, I think it's the weakest of the Game Boy games. It's got this weird, like, you were talking about Metroid at the top of the episode, and it's kind of Metroidvania style before that was even a term. Yeah. Each stage has, like, a map that's not just left to right. You have to, like, explore and yep. find certain areas like a Metroid game. I feel like it's the worst looking of the Game Boy games, too. I hadn't noticed, uh, so I don't I think know, I just I, I just I like played, it. like, all three of them in one day, and I don't know. There was a definite drop in quality as they went. And then, you remember last month, they talked about Clay Fighter, 
This month, they talked about a game I'd never heard of called Claymates. Apparently, they tried to make, like, a whole clay series. Yeah, I... It's a platformer, I think. It's on Switch Online. So, yeah. I, I booted it up for the, the Super Nintendo. It's in the Super Nintendo games on there. I never played this game before. I booted it up on my Switch Online, and it's it's okay. Like, I feel like if I rented that back in the day, it would have been a good weekend rental. It wasn't, like, the best game I'd ever played. It wasn't the worst game I'd ever played, and I feel like it would have kept me entertained for a full weekend. So I'll say that. what you're saying is the clay aesthetic in video games needs to never return. And the top three Super Nintendo games, number three was Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. Oh, as voted by Nintendo Power Readers, I should say. That's very important. This isn't sales or anything. Uh, it said the top three Super Nintendo games, Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. Number two, Street Fighter Two Turbo. Number one, Mortal Kombat. So fighting really? games were king at the time. Yeah. I was always under the impression Mortal Kombat didn't sell well on Super Nintendo. It didn't sell as well. And again, these these aren't based on sales. These are based on Nintendo Power readers voting for what their favorite game is at the at that moment. So, fighting games were all the rage, which is why we got Tournament Fighter for Turtles. On to TV events. January 2nd, the original Nickelodeon Doug ends and it won't be back until 1996 on ABC. And I didn't remember there was a gap between them. I Like, in my mind, Doug ended on Nickelodeon, and then, like, at most the next year started on Disney. But That's apparently there was, like, two it. full years in between. I thought it was just a continuous, it was on this, and then it's on yeah. that. It's probably because Nickelodeon re-ran Doug on a constant loop so yeah. we probably just never realized that new new episodes weren't coming out but yeah so that was the first Doug ending before Disney cancels it years later uh, January 16th the George Carlin show premieres on Fox I do remember never that heard of it you don't remember he had a show was it a talk show no it was a sitcom uh, I forget what happened like I I read about it in one of his books he ended up doing it just to kind of try it out and do something a little more like mainstream. And he didn't end up really enjoy doing it, so it didn't last long. But yeah, I remember watching that when it was on Fox. Yeah, a lot of our TV notes end up. I'm not. I'm not. I'm looking up all of TV, and no, it, I know. Fox has a lot of the notable events. I guess it was the early '90s. They were the ones making the news. So 1994, January 24th. The last note I have for TV events is during a segment on NBC T the during a segment on NBC's Today, host Bryant Gumble asks, What is the internet anyway? <laughs> if he only knew what rabbit hole that would lead everyone down. <laughs> and then Saturday Night Live, January eighth was hosted by Jason Patrick with musical guest Blind Melon. And then January 15th, hosted by Sarah Gilbert with musical guest The Counting Crows. All right. Pretty so respectable episodes. for you. 
And that's all the context I have for when this issue came out. So why don't we dive right into this? I say dive right in, I feel like, every episode. I gotta get out of that. Let's take a look at this comic, Sean. Let me get over to the diving board here. Uh, so, <laughs> you can find this one in comics, or on Comixology and in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Classics, Volume 8. Okay, I've got a question about the cover. Oh, do you? So, the background of this cover, is that supposed to be the robot we're going to see next issue? Is that his face kind of in the background there? It is, and I thought it was weird that it's on the cover because it has no relevance at all right now. Yeah, because it's kind of a mirror, it's kind of a flipped image of... Uh, spoiler alert for issue three. Issue three, it's the robot on the cover, and there's a turtle face in the background. Yeah. So it's like kind of the opposite of that. So on this cover, we've got a Ninja Turtle on it's Leonardo plunging his sword into the hood of a speeding car. And in the background, kind of looming almost like a psychic vision. Like it's like, it's not the background, it's like. The entire background layer, if you're talking in Photoshop terms. You know what I mean? So it kind of makes yeah. it look like almost a, a vision he's having. But it's, that's not what's in the story. But anyway, yeah, it's a weird robot face in the background. So I like this cover, but this this one criticism I have is going to sound weird. It feels less kinetic than other car chase covers they've had in the past. It's funny you bring that up. I never thought of that. But they do have, like, they're on volume two. They're about 70 issues into the main comic at this point. And they've had, like, four car chase covers. <laughs> and I, I feel like this one doesn't have the same sense of motion that the others have had. I like it more than the cover to issue one. I'd say we're trending in the right direction. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I really like the colors on it, too. Last week, we talked about if you could tell the difference between bad coloring and good coloring. And I'm paying more attention now. And the colors on the cover are definitely way better than the colors on the interior. And that is, like, the difference between average coloring and great coloring, I think. Which makes me wonder, does the colorist also do the colors on the cover? Yeah, that's because you usually just see cover by. You you don't usually see like, like you'll see for the issue, it'll say like colors by this person, inks by this person, pencils by this person. Yeah. But you don't see that for covers. You just see cover by. So it's usually all just one person. So let tweet at us if you know the answer to that, because now I'm curious. Kevin Eastman did this cover, so go ask him. All right, give me a moment. <laughs> And then we go inside the comic book. It's the most boring first page of a comic ever. What are you it's talking a full about? First page, and it's just the basement steps and like the the water heater area of a basement and some cat food. It's clearly it's like, a fine Donnie page. Why else would there be a water heater? So the story opens after that. We go into this little base. Like you can see a door in the background. So I think it's an establishing shot letting you know that this is in the basement of where April and Casey are living. And the turtles are living in this little basement apartment that they have. And Raphael 
I don't know if you've ever heard of a story where they do this, but Raphael is bored of just sitting around. Can you believe that? I don't feel like that's ever come up ever. Michelangelo is telling him he's going to start keeping a journal. Leonardo is like kind of like pretending to be interested. He's like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, whatever you want to do. Raphael's on the couch. He's like, hey, come on. I'm bored. And he throws a pillow right in Michelangelo's face, which I thought was funny. While while Mikey's trying to keep his journal, he's keeping track of like the he tells Raphael he's got like categories for Raphael's different moods. Yeah, I like this that. This is kind bit. of a great Michelangelo moment. <laughs> and he's like he writes an A for Raph hates is in the mood that he hates everything. B is hates everything and is openly aggressive. <laughs> C is off by himself sulking. And like first for the the day in his journal he writes A. So right now Raphael hates everything. And then Raphael throws the pillow in his face and he writes B which is openly aggressive. And then Raphael says, I'm moving out. And he storms off and he changes the B to a C. So he hits all the shades of Raph right here. Yeah, I definitely feel the turtles are fully fleshed out now. So it, it's a really fun moment between them. Raph looks well, insanely It's, it's kind of weird though, because I think it's kind of weird that Michelangelo then says to Leo, do you think he's serious? And it's like, yeah, he's serious. He's done this three times now. <laughs> so I, ju- I just thought that was a weird moment. <laughs> I just thought it was weird when you see him say, I'm moving out. He just looks sickly thin for that one panel. <laughs> it's like his shell, like it's gone. <laughs> On a little turtle diet. And Leonardo, he kind of agrees with Raphael, I feel like, even though he's not ready to move out. But he does talk about that they need to find a new place before they get discovered. I he was says just he's happy. afraid one of the tenants is going to hear one of the other. How many people could be living in this building? Do they ever show how big the building is? Because in my mind, it was just like a three floor yeah. uh, apartment building. So you'd have an apartment on the first floor and second floor. I'm guessing Casey and April and, and the third floor. And Casey and April live in one of them, yep. and the turtles live in the basement. So there's only basically out of four possible units, two being rented. I was just happy that I was right, and they ended up in the basement apartment. Though I don't know how they're paying rent. I don't think they're paying rent. I think April's letting them live there. Like they're they're the muscle. Their their protection is what pays their rent. They're the handyman that'll come by, but only when you're not in your apartment. I, I mean, I really think that's what's going on. They don't have Donatello to fix the water, though. He's still with Splinter. And then the comic goes to this, like, mountain science lab thing. You can tell it's a science lab because it's a dome with little cylinder buildings and big solar panels and satellite dishes. So it's like science happens here. Right. And it's not necessarily an evil building because there's no moat or volcanic activity, so it yes, it's strictly <laughs> science. And uh, the the caption says that it is the secret DARPA facility somewhere in the southwest, which it later explains DARPA stands for Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So it's a secret government building, basically. The uniforms are interesting in here. The, these I know I said it last week, but these kind of remind me of the bad Mega Man box art too. 
these uniforms because they've got these big shoulder pads and like weird straps and pouches. I don't know. It's it's an interest. It's not normal military uniforms they're wearing. I just saw it as the space mutiny uniform. Yeah, yeah, it kind of <laughs> looks like that. So we see these soldiers. I think they hear a noise. Yeah, they hear a noise. That's like the consistent thing right now in this volume is people hearing noises and investigating. (laughs) So they go into the lab. One of them says, cover me. And they go in and it's like that sci-fi trope where there's robot parts hanging from the ceiling of like a yet to be assembled like killer robot machine. You can see all the pieces, but they're not together yet. Then from off panel, you hear a whirring noise. And by here, I mean Mary Kelleher doing letters gave us a sound effect. Whir, whir, whir. And then at the bottom of the page, you see this giant like machine gun thing. And it shoots one of the soldiers, not both of them for some reason. Even though this is like a fully automatic weapon, it could have like gone in a, a line and hit, hit both of them. But it just hits them one at a time. One at a time. It's the first guy. Gives the second guy time to react before the second guy gets shot. It kind of reminded me of in Perfect Dark when you would lay down the the briefcase cannon thing. Oh, the laptop that gun. The laptop gun. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. Thinking of. Yeah, and you could. It had like the secondary mode where you could leave it as a like automatic a turret. turret. Yeah, yeah. The part so I that's, like that's right here is. The ancient keycard technology that they use. You don't I mean see, it's 1994, man. You don't see keycards like that in anything anymore. I miss them. You know what I'm noticing now for the first time? So I'm on page 10 of the comic, and after the soldiers are shot, and you see, I wonder who this could be, uh, at a computer. They don't show his face yet. He's typing away, and you can see more of the robot parts i'm now noticing in the third panel they've got this like terminator looking or kind of looks like ultron too from the oh yeah the movie not the yeah. comic books clearly supposed to be the robot's head but that's not the head it gets when he eventually puts this thing together so i don't know if this is in a prototype stage yeah or if he just had like a bunch of different robots going on but anyway foreshadowing for a killer robot about to come, but it won't be this killer robot. And then we go to Northampton where this part kind of confused me because when they left at the end of volume one, Donatello said that they weren't going to stay at the farmhouse. Yep. But it kind of seems like they are staying at the farmhouse because that's what he's, he's out in front of the farmhouse. Do you know why he's digging a hole? No, I got confused and I didn't see it as they were staying at the farmhouse, but that like Donnie went back for some reason, but I, I don't know what he would be to digging dig a hole something for. up. <laughs> Casey's grandpa or uncle's receipts. Those are no good for them. Yeah. So I, I don't know why he's digging, but it it's a great moment as far as what comes. Yeah, I tried looking it up on the, like, Wikipedia for this, or the Turtlepedia, it's called, for this comic, but it didn't have any more information. This part just says, Donatello is spotted by some Jehovah's Witnesses at the Jones Farm in Northampton. Some Jehovah's Witnesses drive down the driveway, he dives behind a stone wall, 
and leaves a pamphlet behind with the guiding light. And Donatello looks at the pamphlet and a big cloud forms behind him, which I think is not literal. I think that's like in his mind or like showing how he kind of feels. I just like that they took the time as they're leaving to go, okay, well, we left some literature on your porch. (laughs) (laughs) So back in New York, Leonardo's running along the rooftops in New York City. He's kind of upset that the family is like finally breaking up. They're all grown's up, all the turtles. Like Donatello's off in Northampton. Raphael wants to go somewhere and now he's saying that they should get out of the basement so he's probably basically like now how do i get rid of mikey he's the last one hanging on (laughs) (laughs) everyone's gone everyone's left me except michelangelo how do i give him the hint leo disappeared today i have come up with a new numbering system and his moods so as he's doing his patrol he spots a drive-by shooting which were all the rage in the early 90s because of the gangster rap music. Um, <laughs> so he gets on the hood of the car. He's not going to stand for that. Not in his city. What does is, what is the Green Arrow guy say? You have failed this city. <laughs> oh, man. I wish Leo said that. And he stabs right through the hood of the car while riding on the roof, which causes the car to crash. The guy goes flying through the windshield in an unintentionally funny-looking panel. Because <laughs> it's just like how his arms are at his side. I know they don't want me to laugh at this, but it's it's kind of funny. That guy knows how to launch out of a car windshield. <laughs> well, it's funny to me because it, it looks like a dummy. The yep. way it's so like limp. I don't know. Much to Leo's dismay, this kid didn't make it out alive. So he runs up to the roof. It's almost like the Casey Jones moment from Shades of Grey, except Leo's not going to, you know, live tormented by this for 13 issues. He he just starts, like, kind of freaking out about his life. He's up on the roof, and he's like, there is no there is no sense, only reality, and, and to wish otherwise is denial. To deny is foolish. He's having, like, a weird mental breakdown, I feel like. I like all this stuff with Leo, with him questioning, you know, his leadership. Was it that kid's destiny to die on the sidewalk, that part? Yeah, I I like all this stuff they do with him. So I'm very on board with Leo right out the gate to see where he's going to go on this journey. The bottom of page 18 is almost like a Spider-Man no more. Yep. Like, because he's questioning if he can be, like, he's walking away going, some leader. Like, not thinking he's fit to lead the team and the way his back is to the reader and he's walking away in the distance. It's very much like Spider-Man no more. You expect the katanas and the blue bandana thrown in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been cool. Oh, somebody make that and, and send it to us. That would be a really cool art commission. The last two pages of the comic we see the man who was typing away at the the keyboard before we see the robot i guess put together it's got kind of like cables everywhere and it's like it's almost like the iron man suit yeah how it seems like it has machinery putting it together 
and the man is shaving his head and he draws a dotted line indicating that he's going to cut the top of his own head off or or somebody's going to cut it off. Like it's that type of surgical dotted line. I feel like he should have just, you know, went ahead and invested in an assistant because I can't imagine (laughs) it's Baxter Stockman. If anyone's wondering as great as what do you think Dr. Strom's up to? Yeah. Like (laughs) as amazing as Baxter Stockman thinks he is. I don't think he made a straight line all the way around his head. And again, so it ends on this reveal that it's Baxter Stockman on the last page. And again, the robot that's hanging in the background is not what the robot we get next issue is. So I don't know if they redesigned it in between issues or if we're if the prototype is what's hanging in the background and we, we just don't see the real robot. But that is not what he becomes. Is there a guy in a tube in the background? Yes, he kind of looks like Killer Croc from Batman the Animated Series. Okay, because I don't I, know what that's about. I like that panel because it's unsettling, but I feel like it never actually comes to be anything. It might be like, maybe that's what the robot is hanging in the background. Maybe because this guy looks like he might have the top of his head cut off. I can't really tell. So maybe he practiced the brain transfer on this guy into this robot that looks like he might have taken this robot apart. And he uses that robot to build his own robot. That's my head cannon. I'm going with that. Yeah, I'm just wishing there was like a few pages of him screwing up on doing the lines around his head and having to like go back and try again. And then just like last issue, this issue originally, if you read the actual printed copy, it has a backup story, IMP Part 2 of 3 by Jim Lawson and Eric Talbot. It's more of this cat running around a laboratory. Not a whole lot happens. Is it supposed to be the lab from this issue? I think so. Because it, the guards that are chasing the cat aren't wearing exactly the same uniform. But it's very similar. Like They both look like versions of the bad Mega Man artwork. The ones chasing the cat have more pillows to their costume, though. Like, I don't know how to describe it any different. Like, like it's more bumpy, you know? I would love for you to be a costume designer on a movie just once. <laughs> it needs more pillows. It's, it's not bumpy enough. So before we get into ratings, I just wanted to talk about... It's two issues in now, and I just love the pacing of this. And one thing I want to compare it to is I've been reading a lot of Ultimate Spider-Man right now. I've actually been reading the whole Ultimate Universe. Shout out to My Ultimate Year. It's a podcast that's basically going over the entire Ultimate Universe a few issues at a time each each episode. And yeah, they give you kind of a reading order and you know, you read the comics and then you listen to the the podcast. And the Ultimate Universe, it's paced very similarly and the reason I say that is I'm on issue like 75 of Ultimate Spider-Man and almost nothing's happened. I mean, not literally, but like when you compare it to like the main 616 Marvel Universe, 75 issues, like so much happens there. And the Marvel Universe, it takes its time. It's like, okay, the next five issues, we're going to tell this one story 
and it's going to revolve around this one new idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. It'll be like five issues. Here's our version of Venom. And this is what the Venom story is in the Ultimate Universe. And that's all we're going to talk about in these five issues. We're not going to set up anything for six issues down the line. We're not going to set up anything. We're not going to talk too much about what came before. It's just like it's very focused and it's there's good and bad things to that. And it's the same thing with this turtle volume where it's the whole volume is 13 issues, but it feels like the amount that happens in these 13 issues would have been like three issues of the guest era of Mirage comics, you know? Yeah. I except in that case, it would be paced awfully and be printed, you know, seven issues in between each part and everything else. Yeah, I, I really... Oh, yeah, if this... Let, let me, like... I'm going to flip through the pages here and give, like, my comparison. So if this were a Mirage guest era, page one would have been... Roth, the top... The first three panels would have been Raphael fighting with his brothers and leaving. Then the next three panels would have been these military people getting shot at the lab. Then the next three panels... <laughs> Would have been the monks, not monks, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses leaving the pamphlet at the the door. So basically the first 14 pages of this issue would have been one page of, of that era of Mirage. They were just going so, putting so much into each issue. And I believe this entire issue would have been like three pages of one of those stories. And that's the advantage of actually having continuity now and the fact that they can take their time with the story. Because, I mean, they do do it on, like, the mainline issues that are relevant to this volume. You know, they take their time. They don't rush through everything. But, yeah, I'm kind of... I love that they had a guest error, but I'm glad they've never gone back to it. I guess IDW is the really only good example, but it, it's nice to have different teams work on the book, but not have mm-hmm. it feel like a completely different book. Well, I think the one thing that the IDW volume had going for it was like Tom Waltz really did like, I don't know, I think a hundred issues. Like I think it's issues one through 100 that like, he at least had a part in writing yeah every single one of those issues if not being the main writer so it was but he had an actual unlike mirage here he had a full team so he was able to plot a story a year in advance which is what they should have let you know lawson do here i don't know i feel like it's one of those things where anyone who's ever tried to do something creative i'm sure can relate where I mean, we've done it with this podcast where we'll have like four episodes recorded in advance and we'll be, you know, oh, we're so far ahead. And then one thing comes up and next yep. thing you know, you're behind. And it's it's the same thing for this. I'm sure you put one guy in charge of art and story and don't plot out the story in advance. So he's got to plot the story in advance. He had three months in between City at War and... And issue one's release. Yeah. So that means he had about a month to plan 
probably all of what the next story was going to be, all of what was going to happen in each issue, and all of like the character designs, the coloring he had to oversee, like, you know, what the coloring was going to look like, stuff like that. It just wasn't enough time and it all caught up to him. Nothing against him. Like he clearly is a great artist, a great, a great contributor to Turtles history. And I'll bet if he had a slightly bigger team and a little more time, he could have made this volume last a hundred issues. Yeah. With all that in consideration, I gave this a 3.8 because I like everything he's kind of laying the groundwork for. I love that Baxter Stockman is back. It just always bothered me that he's such a second issue in volume one and then that's it. Wasn't in Tales. Wasn't well, that's in- why I didn't want to say this back then, but when we did volume one, you mentioned something like that. And like, I didn't want to give it away, but I almost said like, well... He's pretty much the only thing that happens in volume two. So <laughs> I don't know. Like he, the, even the guest era, no one did a Baxter story. So it's just really, yeah. I, I like having him back and they do a really good job of just conveying how like much he's kind of lost it because of, you know, he's going to saw the top of his head off and make a robot body. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and we'll get to that next week, how, just how. That's all I have to say, how. <laughs> so I, I I think he's a perfect way to kind of wean you back into the Turtles lore. Yeah, he's some, you know, he's familiar enough. It, it would have been weird if they started Volume 2 by introducing something new, some new challenge for the Turtles, or even... Some of the stuff that they faced already from the guest era that if it came back, it would have been weird. You know, they could have very easily gone with another Savante Romero story. They could have. And had Renette come back, which they don't do at all in this volume. It's not saying they avoided it because we said last episode, this entire volume, it's basically two stories. It's like this, this is going to culminate the Baxter Stockman stuff is going to come to a conclusion and that conclusion sets up what the next few issues are. And then that concludes and then the volume's over. It's like, it's like two kind of six. I don't know if it's split right down the middle with, I think it's pretty close. I think the other strength with going back to Baxter is he's a villain who also has strong ties to April, which they, they, we're going to get into that. To get uh, into, next week, I think. Yeah, I, I think it, it's all going to start coming together then. So I think he's a perfect villain for that because Cervante Romero, April, never really dealt with. Bringing the foot back like immediately just seems silly. And then, Yeah, and especially since Karai promised that they would leave New York, you got to go at least five issues without there being any Foot Clan activity. I mean, she didn't say they would leave New York, but she basically said we're not going to cause problems anymore. So. Yeah, and I, I give Lawson credit for not giving in to the easy on this arc. You know, he, he found mm-hmm. something from Volume 1 that could be expanded on. I think as we're going through, I'm appreciating Volume 2 more than my initial read-through of it. All I think all of these covers 
are some of the best turtle covers we've had yet. We got at least that going for us in this volume. Like I'm looking through right now and there's some, I don't want to give it away before we get to them, but there's some great covers in this run. I know we said this one didn't really have the same kinetic energy as some we've seen before, but there's some real gems in here. It doesn't have the energy, but the coloring does remind me of the pre-Mutant Ninja Turtles issue, like that cover. It's got that vibe going for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like that about it. Actually, that that's the other thing with this volume that's kind of great, too, is if you are trying to collect it, it's very obvious which issue is which issue. And we yes. really have not had that through volume one. Yeah, the covers definitely directly tie into the story. That they're, they're all kind of laid out the same. It's not, mm -hmm. hey, guess where the oh, issue number yeah. is. <laughs> so. There's a uniform look to the covers is what you're saying. Like yeah. It, it fits, like, it all looks like it belongs to the same series. Which you're right, volume one did not have that going for it. Hey, welcome to the last Comic Shop Podcast! A comic book podcast that actually talks about comics. Yep, each week we open the shop up and read and discuss a comic. Sometimes we pair that up with comic book movies or TV shows. Or not, lots of times it's just comic books and sound effects. Oh yes, definitely lots of sound effects. So tune in on all the major podcasting platforms to The Last Comic Shop Podcast, or check out our library of evergreen shows at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Hi everyone, I'm Nerd Bomber. And I'm Tactic, and we're two of the hosts of the Online Warriors Podcast. Our podcast started as a way for three best friends to keep in touch and discuss their nerdy hobbies like movies, gaming, tech, and more. Since then, we've grown into a great community. Every Wednesday, we chat about the latest nerdy news before getting hands-on with our weekly nerdy adventures. And don't forget our high-stakes trivia game. Come join the fun at OnlineWarriorsPodcast.com and every major podcast platform. And now, back to the show. Okay, and now time for some postscript. This is going to be kind of like Turtle Tracks in the back of the comic book where we talk to the listeners more directly. So just to let everybody know, one new thing we're trying out this season that you just heard is ad swapping with other podcasts. This isn't anything we receive any money for. I wanted to make that clear to our listeners. So we're not charging money for advertising now or anything. Ad swapping, it's a way for podcasts to get the word out about themselves. I think it's a really cool idea. You send them an ad for your podcast, they send you an ad for theirs, and you literally just swap, and it raises awareness for everyone. I, I think it's a really good way to build a community and a good way for people to discover other shows. So if you have a podcast and you want to ad swap with us, actually, let us know. We will be glad to ad swap with you. So I just wanted to make sure our listeners knew that's not anything we're charging money for, though, or anything. We're not we're not running paid ads on this podcast, at least not yet. I want to thank everyone who supported us on our Patreon this week, and I want to put out an idea that I had that if we can get up to $50 a month on our Patreon, we're going to start giving away gift cards and start giving back to the listeners who donate to us. So right now it's not official or anything i'm thinking it's going to be if i can get it if we can get our patreon up to 50 dollars, we'll give away a 10 dollar gift card and each month to a random patreon we'll give 20 percent as long as it's in a 
easy gift card increment, you know. So if we get up to $100, we'll give a $20 gift card. If we get up to $125, give a $25 gift card. You get the idea. And I also want to thank this time to thank any new listeners who are listening to the show. Thank you so much for supporting us. We we see that people are discovering the show, and if you're sticking around, thank you so much. We love you for it. And in fact, a new listener actually left us a review this week. So the last thing I want to do is take the time to thank The Killer Rabbit was the name on iTunes. They left an iTunes review, and if you guys want to leave us an iTunes review, that would be great. It's like a little tip jar for podcasters. It really helps other people discover the show, helps the algorithm on the Googles. Nobody knows how it works, but everybody hears that. So just repeating that information. So thank everybody for listening this week, and we will see you next week with more turtles. Bye. The Ninja Turtle Nerds is a fan-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash tmntnerds. If you'd like to see images of the comics we discussed in this episode, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at tmntnerds. Have a question or comment for us? You can email us at tmntnerds at gmail.com. And if you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.